0: This is Leaving Laodicea with Steve McCraney, and this is a podcast for those who realize that apathetic, lukewarm, flannel graph faith just isn't going to cut it in the chaos that surrounds us today. We need something more, something different. So join us as we learn how to leave Laodicea behind. Ephesians chapter 3, as I've been going through sending the emails out on an almost almost daily basis, I got stymied. I got to a point where I had to stop. You didn't get one yesterday. Uh, You didn't get one today. Hopefully you'll get one tomorrow. But I had to stop and just reflect on where we were. And this phrase captured me. Uh, As a matter of fact, it unsettled me. It bothered me. It convicted me. And it is what I want to share with you today. It's in verse number 8 of Ephesians chapter 3. The first part I've got, because I can relate to the first part. But to me, he says, who am less than the least of all the saints. Got that. I'm the least likely person, Lord, to ever call into the ministry or to ever save. Yet he did. To me, who am the less than the least of all the saints. This grace was given, and of course we've talked about the fact that everything we have in our spiritual life is a gift, that I should preach among the Gentiles, and it doesn't really matter where your sphere of influence is, whether you're preaching among the Gentiles or the Jews or you're a missionary or you're sharing Christ with your spouse and your own family, that doesn't matter. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles... Now note what he says here. The unsearchable, unfathomable, incomprehensible riches of Christ. It's kind of like he's a it's kind of like he's a messenger from a, a conquering king. And you've got this town that's been under siege. And the king has conquered the land, and he's getting ready to come into town and bring his messenger that will tell the townspeople one of two things. One, because of your rebellion against the king, you're all to die. Or two, because of the grace of the king, that I will let everyone in the town live. If you're a man that cared about people and you had the first message, you would go there kind of reluctantly your heart would go out to all those people, although they deserved death because of their injustice. But if your heart loved people and you had this unsearchable, unfathomable, overwhelming, incomprehensible, grace-filled decree from the king, in spite of all your sin and rebellion, you can live and be free. You would almost run and sprint there to deliver that message. And then it talks about this unsearchable riches of Christ. What does that mean? And again, I've I've had to stop and I've had to to ponder it. I haven't haven't really wanted to move on until I really had an understanding of that. And if Paul is preaching to the Gentiles the gospel, which he says entails this unsearchable riches of Christ, it means you and I, are in possession of these unsearchable riches of Christ, the word means unable to be traced step by step. In other words, you can't figure out about, get your mind around these unsearchable riches of Christ. It means you and I possess that right now. Do you feel rich? Or do you feel, "Eh, that's okay. Now be honest. You talk to a newlywed who comes back from their honeymoon, and you say, man, how's marriage? Oh, it's great. I just had this Cinderella, um, Cinderella kind of, kind of ceremony and all the people were there to see me and, and they were honoring us and we drove away and people were waving and then we went to this vacation, this honeymoon, unlike anything i've ever done before and it was just me and my spouse and it was incredible and i'm coming back just so filled with love and adoration it's incredible it's amazing i feel like the richest person on the planet to be married to this person and then you talk to someone who's been married for 30 years ups and downs ins and outs and hey how's marriage it's good it's good It's, it's okay what's the difference One is experiencing the fullness of all there is, and the other one has let that fullness and that joy and that excitement of what attracted you to your spouse just kind of fade away. Just life and circumstances and pain and suffering and good times and bad times and small irritants just crush out the riches that should be in a marriage and often the riches that we should have in our relationship with Christ. you know all my um all my life i have known that there's something greater than what i'm experiencing with the lord i i read testimonies of you know the great missionary people who heard the gospel message and on faith stepped out and sold everything and went to follow Jesus and there's just accounts of how God filled them and blessed them and even when they went through trials and tribulations and dark nights of the soul I mean God was there and it was incredible and we read those stories we see those accounts in in the New Testament and and we wonder I don't know what, what are we missing here and ever since the the Street revival and the resurgence of Pentecostalism it's Pretty much been labeled that you're not filled or baptized or endued with power from on high or whatever by the Holy Spirit. I, when I was first seeking after the Lord, I remember I would go to the college library there and there was a magazine they have called Logos Magazine that I can't find those, even copies of them on the internet. And Logos Magazines were magazines that came out of California and they were You know, kind of the, the print media from the Jesus movement of the late 60s and early 70s. And they would tell story and story and stories about how God would work miraculously and how powerful the Holy Spirit was. And I was captivated by that, even though I didn't know Christ at the time. And so I started searching. And I would go to every possible church that I could find. I would talk to every single person I know who claimed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, are baptized by the Holy Spirit, and ask them, what's the difference? How did that happen? What was your life like before and now? Even though a lot of the people I talked to really didn't manifest something different daily, they just seemed to have something different about them on Sundays. you get the point? Is it is it speaking in tongues? I mean, is that what it all about? Because there's this huge teaching that says that there's a second infusion of grace where people lay hands on you or something of that nature. And it's a second filling of the Holy Spirit as evidenced by speaking in tongues. So is that it? And if so, what is that like? And, and how, and I read in the scripture that speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues is a gift like all the other gifts. Yet it was taught, still is taught to no, know that is the primo gift. It's, It's, well, why? Because of what happened in Acts chapter 2 and what happened in Acts chapter 19 and some of those other examples. So I'd go to these churches, and I wanted to find a pastor I respected. Most of the pastors I didn't. I really, I really have a low view of pastors, and it's really terrible to say since I are one. But uh, I wanted to find someone that I, I respected, so I found some guys that lived really terrible lives before God saved them, and once God saved them, their lives were radically changed. I can relate to this guy because my life was pretty bad myself. What do I need to do? Well, you need to walk down the aisle and ask the, the Lord to uh, fill you with the Holy Spirit. Okay. And how do we do that? You take these classes on speaking in tongues. Okay. And so I'm in these classes and they're teaching you how to speak in tongues. Well, what you need to do is you need to just kind of loosen your tongue and and just just start making these babbling noises. (sighs) Seems really ridiculous to me, but okay, how does that work? And so the guy would speak in tongues, and then we would kind of mimic him. And it didn't work. It didn't work. I mean, well, what is it? What is it? And I would see some people who claim to be spirit-filled all the time, and every other word that came out of their mouth was praise Jesus, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. You know, people like that. You know, they're kind of intimidating initially until you get to know them a little bit, and then they're annoying. You know, praise Jesus, praise Jesus, Jesus this, oh, I saw this, I found this penny in my car, and so that's a message from God that, that he's going to he's going to pour lavish wealth upon me, and then why wasn't it this gold piece? I mean, why wasn't it the $100? I mean, you know, there was just illogical things that I struggled with my whole life. So what is it, God? I mean, what what is it? If If knowing you is an unsearchable, incomprehensible, overwhelming riches, then why do the people that I know, including my own life, who know Christ? Why don't we treat it as that? As thus, it's almost like if I won the lottery and I had, I don't know, two hundred million dollars, and my job was to give all that money away, and every person that I met, if I wanted to, I could just easily lavish a hundred thousand dollars on them. I mean, I would change, would I not? Hey, Tim, you got a need. Listen, I can help you with that. Here's a hundred grand, a hundred grand. Why would you do that? All oh, because God is so great, and I mean, we'd be filled with this unbelievable joy to be able to share with other people this lavish wealth that was given to us by grace, and yet the church today often doesn't do that. We just kind of limp along. We kind of struggle. We, yeah, you know, I know Jesus is Lord, and. And I, I know he's given me the Holy Spirit. And I know Paul was overwhelmed by preaching, not the gospel of Jesus and the forgiveness of your sin and the the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but he summed all that up and is unsearchable. I mean, it's so incredible that, that you can't even trace it out, this untraceable riches that we find in Christ. We find that same word used in Romans 11.33 where there are two exclamation points after these two statements. Let me read them to you. Oh, Paul says, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God, exclamation point. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out, exclamation point. That's, that's what's being said in Ephesians chapter 3. Oh, the unsearchable, incomprehensible, Riches of Christ. So let me ask you an honest question. Are you experiencing that right now? Oh, my, no, it's my spirit. It's good. I mean, it's a seven, it's an eight, you know, it's, it's getting better. It was a four, and now it's a six. Is, is it, are we experiencing that? Or are we somehow just limping along? I mean, for the, for the past month or so, even prior to that, we've, we've been trying to talk about how to move beyond our lethargy into something dynamic with the Lord for the motivation of the fact of being a faith prepper because we see these dark days coming. We, we've been talking about what it means to even just follow Christ according to, to his view. You remember the passages? You desire to come after me, you have to deny yourself. Hardest part of all, say no to you. And take up your cross, which shows the intensity of your denial, and follow me. For if it's all about you saving your own life and doing the things that you want and making yourself happy and trying to make something of ourselves in this fallen world, we will lose it. We will not experience what Christ put us here for. But if we've forfeit our life, and lose our life for His sake. And as Mark says, the Gospels say, only then will we discover what it's about. And so there's some questions. Questions that I've had, questions I want to ask you. Questions that we need to answer. Of all the stuff we've been talking about, the surrendering to, life, to the Lord, the the, the Holy Spirit, the, the, denying yourself. Has any of this changed your life? Any of it? Has any, has anybody gone from an eight to a, to a nine to a ten or, or something greater than that? I would venture to say probably not. Or if so, very, very few of you, because if it had happened, other people would know. You couldn't contain it. You couldn't wait to, to share it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, listen, this denying yourself. Let me, let, let me tell you what's happening here. And th- this is incredible. And God has shown me so many things. And I can't wait just to pick up the phone and tell somebody about it. I, I, I'm, I don't want to paint with a broad brush. I don't know what's going on in your spiritual life. But from my vantage point, I heard a thing. I heard a thing. Well, m- maybe we just don't want to tell people. Okay. Okay. If you discovered unsearchable riches in Christ, I think you would tell somebody. I would, wouldn't you? It would be overwhelming. And, and we come on Sundays and we listen and we hear and we believe and we put the bracelets on and we take the, the Lord's Supper. And there's a change in our life for the better. But is it is it an overwhelming just change? Something that we would think would happen, if we were all subsequent to or after salvation, baptized in the Holy Spirit as evidenced by speaking in tongues, which a segment of Christianity believes. I mean, how does that work? What's the difference here? I, uh, I have a lot of slides, and I'm not going to show you today. Um, I uh, I was building a... Large base to try to cut directly to the chase, and I had every intention of getting to the bottom of this and giving you the answer in um, on Tuesday night. But uh, I'm going to cut through the I'm going to cut through the foundation, a bunch of verses about the Holy Spirit, and I just want you to turn to Romans chapter six, and I want to show you what I have discovered that has given me more joy in my spiritual life than anything ever. You know, I've been taught, I've been caught up in doctrine for so long and teaching and, and going to seminary and getting degrees and all that kind of stuff that we have a tendency of looking in the scripture and sometimes, sometimes the truth is so apparent that we miss it because it's just laying on the surface. For example, when it comes to the whole being filled with the Holy Spirit, what we do is we go to Acts chapter 2 and we look at that experience and so we say, well, this is what happened in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit fell and when the Holy Spirit fell, there was this mighty rushing wind like the sound of a 747 in the room and people were probably having to talk really loud because they, they couldn't hear anything or like a massive case of tinnitus. And all of a sudden there were these flaming tongues of fire that came on people and then they were overwhelmed and they were giddy and they were excited to the point that people looking at them thought they were drunk. And then they started preaching and, and proclaiming, and, and, and God, God, of course, honored that because with this 250-something word sermon that, that Peter preached, thousands of people got saved. And the end of Peter's sermon that we're going to look at, it wasn't about, let me tell you how to come to faith in Jesus Christ. It was, you can have what we have if you do this. It's amazing. And so we, we look at our experience and we say, if you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, it has to be done biblically. And biblically means your experience is like them. But that's not true. Because those our, our salvation is not that way. I know exactly how I got saved. And I know exactly what happened to me when I got saved. I remember I've, I've shared it with you before. that I was sitting in my den and Karen was upstairs. And, and all of a sudden it was like I had a vision. I'm reading the book of John, and all of a sudden, right in front of me, you've, you've heard this, right in front of me, it's like, it's like I, there was Nicodemus, and there was Jesus, and they're having a conversation. And I was, I was amazed at what I was seeing, it. and it was like I was right over the, the right shoulder of Nicodemus watching this conversation, and, and Jesus looks at Nicodemus and goes, you must be born again. And he looks right up at me and says, you too, Steve. And my response is, I'm reading Scripture, how? How does a man as my age get born again? Do I enter into my mother's womb? And That makes no sense to me at all. And all the questions that I had were the same questions Nicodemus had, and it just flowed through Scripture, and it became so alive to me. And through that process, I came to know Jesus Christ. Does everybody have to know Christ just like that? If I all of a sudden took my experience and elevated it to the point of truth, and then superimpose that on everybody, then my wife truly hasn't had a salvation experience because she got saved when she was, what, six? Six years old. And, and she she didn't have anything like that happen to her. It was just kind of this calm assurance of a six-year-old whose father told him about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but if we're not careful, we don't do that with salvation. But if we're not careful, we do it when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And if you think about it, The disciples, the disciples knew Christ before they had the Holy Spirit, kind of like they understood the Holy Spirit like under an Old Testament covenant. We find later on that when they're really struggling and they're up in the upper room, Jesus looks at them and says, the peace I give you, my peace I give you, and he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, experience the peace I'm talking about. But obviously that wasn't a permanent one because what happened in Acts chapter 2 was permanent. So if we really want to know for us what it's like to be filled on a continual basis with the Holy Spirit, we don't need to necessarily look at the experience of the disciples. We need to look at the experience of the people that they shared the faith with. We need to look at what they taught and not necessarily what they experienced. Does that make sense? Romans chapter 6 is a classic picture of that. It talks about the fact that there are two natures in man. Here's the part that I never understood, and I don't know why I never understood. I guess I have been taught, and what I've read, is that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that's something God does. And our job is to ask or wait. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to wait. We're going to... uh, you know, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come into our life, and then the disciples had to wait 10 days, so maybe we'll wait 10 days, or we'll just pray, and we'll just raise our hands, or we'll beg, or we'll ask, or we'll or whatever, and then somehow it's a total act of God that he places upon us in his timing and in his will, and bam, you got it, and bam, you don't, and bam, you had it and lost it, and, and none of that is true. None of that is what the disciples taught. Totally different. And the fullness of the Holy Spirit, not the Holy Spirit himself, you got that at salvation. Do you all understand? That came to you at salvation. If you look at Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about that the Holy Spirit is our deposit, our security, our down payment, our guarantee of our future heritage to to come. If the Holy Spirit does not live in you, and I had all these passages to show you that you have the Holy Spirit, but come on, we know that, do we not? If there's no Holy Spirit, then there's, there's no salvation. So you can be saved and possess the Holy Spirit, but not experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand? Uh, a charismatic would say the fullness of the Holy Spirit is what we call being baptized by the Holy Spirit some event at a point in time after salvation, but really what they're experiencing is a fullness of Him, or if you want to use the word baptism, an immersion of Him. Kind of talking about the same thing, only it's more of a, a fullness. I was reading, I was reading an account of this from somebody who was writing, of course, during the Philadelphia Church Age, and his response was like a stuffy old house in England. You got this. 10 room chateau in England and there's no air conditioning there's no ventilation system I mean if you're going to clear the smell out of the house you open up the windows and it's stuffy in there it's damp in there can you get the picture and uh, you know it's, there's just something in the house that's unpleasant the air is stale it's just kind of it's not a pleasant thing. Outside, of course, it's springtime and the wind is blowing and everything is going great. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to open up the windows of our house and we're going to let the fresh air, the, the, the breezing of the Holy Spirit come in and flush out all the lukewarm odor that's in our home. But we only open one window. And we open that one window in that particular room... Smells better, feels better. And we walk out of that room and nothing else changes. Outside is the Holy Spirit, belongs to us, but it's based on what rooms in our life that we open, what areas in our life that we surrender, that we determine whether we experience the fullness of Him. Does that make sense? Let me read a statement to you. Well, (laughs) Turn to Acts chapter 2, first of all. I do want to set this foundation here so that you'll know. Acts chapter 2. The disciples have received the Holy Spirit. He's poured out the promise that he said he would. All of a sudden, Peter gets up in verse number 14, and he begins to preach a message to them. And it is an in-your-face, point-blank, convicting message preached by a man who ran and cowered from you know, some persecution when Jesus was being crucified. He's totally changed by this, and everybody knows it. Verse 33, he's finishing a sermon. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this promise which you now see and hear. What you're experiencing in us, is a pouring out of fullness, uh, a baptism, an immersion in the Holy Spirit that was prophesied in the past and fulfilled in your hearing. He doesn't talk about, Jesus Christ will give your life meaning and purpose, you can live your best life now, that uh, all your sins will be washed away. That's even the focus of this. What the focus of it right now is to explain this phenomena that that we're changed people by the power of the Holy Spirit. For David, verse 34, did not ascend into the heavens, but he says of himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this God, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And they're crushed. And they're overwhelmed with this. And all of a sudden the blinders come off their eyes and all of a sudden they're able to see the reality of what Peter is preaching. Verse 37, and when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, this is the two steps for receiving the Holy Spirit. It's really very simple. Number one, repent. And number two, have faith. Repent and have faith. Repent, he says, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But this is not just for you; for the promise is to you and your children, and to all who are far off, as many as our Lord, as our Lord, our God will call. Selection passage here. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? Well, you get saved. How do you get saved? You repent and believe. The idea of being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins back in their culture, that's what a a proselyte would do to become a Jew, and it was an offensive thing for a Jew at that time. It was showing allegiance to some sort of faith that was not theirs naturally. You repent and have faith. You repent and believe, and you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. But what about... uh, What about those strange passages like in Acts chapter 19 where it seemed like believers were getting the Holy Spirit after the fact? All right, let's turn to Acts chapter 19. Strange passage. How did Paul know people truly belonged to Christ? Because they had the Holy Spirit. How do other people know that you're a Christian? We always say it's because of your fruits that... Jesus says, you will know my disciples by their fruits. And where do those fruits come from? The Holy Spirit. No Holy Spirit, no faith in Christ. Here's what he says. Look at Acts chapter 19. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, oh, were confused, that must mean disciples of Christ, that just means a follower, and said to them, by looking at their life and possibly what they were teaching and what they were saying, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we haven't heard anything about this Holy Spirit. We had not so much as even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So, what did you believe? What was it that your disciples of? It takes repentance for my sinful life and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for the remission of my sins to bring about true salvation, which brings with it the Holy Spirit. So what did you guys believe? So he asked a question to get to that point, verse 3. And he said to them, into then what were you baptized? Into John's baptism. Oh, oh, so you only have half of the equation. You have the repentance side down because John was baptizing people for a sign of repentance in faith to the one who was to come. But now that one has come. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance. Remember, it's repentance and faith. Saying the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Jesus Christ. And when they heard this, They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. What happened here? We kind of look at it and go, well, they just said we're baptized in John, now we're baptized in Jesus, it's really no big deal. What, they get dunked again in the water? No. What's happening now is all of a sudden their allegiance to the message of John, which is just repentance and faith in him who will come, has been changed to something that brings about true salvation, which is repentance and faith on him who has come and completed the substitutionary atoning work of of paying the penalties for our sins. And at that point, now the Holy Spirit comes. Make sense? Repentance, faith, equals the Holy Spirit. I got that. But what about this fullness of the Holy Spirit? Since we all know if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that we have the Holy Spirit, how does... Where where does that fullness come from? Do we wait for God to do something to us? I've actually prayed that. God, if there's a zap out there I need to get, will you zap me? And the reality is I've given you my son. I've given you my spirit. I've given you everything. The rest is up to you. It's, it's, It's what you do now. So how do we receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Uh, Romans chapter 6. Please turn to that and let me go through this. And I won't, I won't take long. A couple facts that we need to know. There's two natures. There's the old man and the new man. There's the nature of the flesh that leads to sin. And there's the nature of Christ that leads to righteousness. Do not be deceived to think that when you got saved, one nature died and the other one took its place. Because I can tell you, and I could ask your spouse, and they would tell you, you still have the old man in you. It doesn't happen that way. It's not like all of a sudden, bam, all evil is gone, all flesh is gone, all selfishness is gone, all my rights are gone, the old man is gone, and now I'm filled with the Spirit of God, and so he's made me something new. And new meaning, there's no old there. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. That's why it talks about, in verse number 11, for example, it says, likewise to you, to you, reckon, consider, reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say you are dead. It says reckon yourself to be dead. Why? Because there's a battle that goes on. And the battle that goes on is between who will be mastery over your life. Will it be sin and flesh and the old man or will it be the Holy Spirit and the new man and living in the newness of all he's provided for you? And the choice now, this life of sanctification belongs to us. We have the Holy Spirit, yet we can grieve him. We can keep him locked in a box or locked in the closet by choosing to be a slave to sin versus a slave to righteousness. The... the did I say this right. The gift of the fullness of the Holy Spirit comes in denying yourself, which is the key element of being a follower of Christ, to deny yourself, to surrender to him. Look what it said here says here. Um, in the first part of Romans chapter 6 it tells us what Christ has already done. Beginning in first beginning in verse number eleven, it tells us what we need to do based on that. Let me just read it to you. Verse one, what shall we say then? Should we continue and sin that grace may abound? Ridiculous question, Paul says. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? But we do. Or do you not know that as many of you were baptized into Christ Jesus, immersed in him were baptized into his death, which is what the Symbolism of baptism speaks of. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by, by the glory of the Father, even so we also, note this word, should. We also should walk in a newness of life. It doesn't say we shall concretely walk in a newness of life because we can do no other because of the Holy Spirit living in us. It now says that since he's in us, we have an option. And the option is to do what's right. We should walk in a newness of life. Why? For if we have been united in the likeness of his death, certain we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin might, not is, might be done away with, that we should. I mean, you should. It's your reasonable service to surrender your life to Christ, Romans 12, 1. That you should no longer be slaves of sin. But we are. Or you could be. Or it's a choice that we make. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin for us, once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Understanding that, and as a follower of Christ, with the Holy Spirit living in you, likewise you also should, reckon. You should understand, you should consider, deem, determine that yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't mean that you are, but you should consider yourself dead. You should view yourself dead. You should reckon yourself dead. You should live differently. How do we do that? What are we supposed to do? Verse 12, therefore, implied you do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. And you do not present your members as instrument of righteousness to sin, but you present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Why? That's a a command for me to do. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? What a carnal question. Certainly not. Do you not know? Now watch this. This is the key. The key to living a fulfilled life in Christ. It's the key to getting the end result that a Pentecostal will say comes from a Second filling of the Spirit. Do you not know that whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? Who is Paul talking to here? Believers. Believers. We see in chapter 5, it's the whole salvation deal, and now he's talking about the sanctification part. And don't you know, if you want to be a slave to sin, slave to your flesh, if you yield yourself and give that dominance in your life, that's exactly what would happen. But you have a choice now to reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to the Spirit of God. And if you become slaves of righteousness, this fullness of a life of the Holy Spirit which is our birthright, and as Watchman Nee said, is our normal Christian life will overwhelm you and change everything. Jesus talked about the abundant life in Christ. You know, the thief kills, comes to kill and destroy, but I come to give you life and give it like you can't even imagine. In Ephesians chapter 3, it says we can't even conceive in our mind the things God wants to do for us and his church who are yielded to him. Verse 17, but be thanks that through, though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Having then set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I, I speak to you in human terms, he says, because we know practicality is not always that way, for the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members of slaves of uncleanliness or filth, and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now your choice present present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And what fruit did you have from these things at which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is now death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness, to the end everlasting life. And then this classic passage that sums this chapter up, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now listen really carefully. We have talked about surrendering our life to him. We did the what would Jesus do as a kind of reminder to to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Lord, everything in my life I want to surrender to you. I've got this 10-roomed house, which is so full of me, it smells like sweat and B.O., Nobody likes to be in there, but I want to open the windows of every single room in my house and let you come in and breathe this fresh wind and cause in me to be a a, a living fountain of your grace and mercy. And so as I surrender areas of my life to you, I open up those windows. The Holy Spirit comes in or the Holy Spirit takes dominion or control of, from what I've kept from him, and all of a sudden I'm experiencing a oneness and a union with him that I never have before. It is your birthright. It's what God expects us to do. And the only thing that keeps us from experiencing the unsearchable riches of Christ, and as Nick prayed today, sharing with our lost loved ones these unsearchable riches of Christ, Is because we never have experienced all God wants us to experience, to be rich in Him. We think of it doctrinally. I know Jesus Christ is preparing a place for me in heaven, and He will wants to receive me to Himself, and so where He is, I will be also. That's a doctrinal statement. Think about that. I will when I have cancer. I will when I'm on my deathbed, but right now I'm too busy doing the other things that I want to do. No weapon formed against us will prevail. We have spiritual armor to ward off every single flaming dart or fiery angel or arrow of the enemy. I, I'm, I'm complete. I'm perfect. I'm finished in him, it talks about in Colossians chapter 2. These are unsearchable, incomprehensible riches we have in Christ, but until we experience them by surrendering and allowing Him to fill us, they just seem like a pipe dream out there That sometimes make us feel guilty. You know, somebody, again, I'm so guilty of this, somebody comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and they look at me and say, "Now, what should I do?" And I teach them intimacy and doctrine. Well, what you need to do is you need to read your Bible. Would you say that's a thing they need to do? Absolutely. You need to read your Bible. You need to begin to look at John, for example, and read about Christ. You need to pray to get to know the Father. So you need to pray every day. You need to surround yourself with Christian fellowship. So you need to be in an accountability group or come to church and all that kind. You need to tell other people about Jesus. Absolutely. But the thing we almost never tell a new convert is this: you need to surrender every area of your life to Him. Every area of your life to Him. Well, I asked Him to forgive me my sins, and He has. And I've asked Him to come in and become Lord of my life. What does that mean? I surrender every area of your life to Him. I, I honestly, I honestly can't remember the last time that I ever heard somebody say that to a new convert. No, read, pray, all these things are vitally important. Go to church, share your faith with others, and do good services. Those are those are an outflowing of your surrender to him, and we miss the part that's so hard in the Laodicean church age. You need to not be about you. You need to surrender your life to him. We don't share that with people. We don't tell them how important that is. And so then they walk on just with this get-out-of-hell-free card in this area of their life that now belongs to Christ, and they go out on Monday morning in the workplace and are hit with the same thing, and we haven't explained to them this power that they have inside of them to live differently and live overwhelmingly by just yielding and surrendering to what who already lives in you. Jesus said, and that was one of the verses I was going to show you today, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit does not come in measure, which means like putting in a container or a portion. What you have is all of him. What you've yielded to him and what you've allowed him and I've allowed him to use in our life is a pale reflection of what he can do. Make sense? D.L. Moody said, and I have carried this quote, in my Bible for 30 years, and so I just wrote down an index card way when we lived in Pigeon Forge, he says, the world has not yet seen what God can do to a man and through a man and for a man totally consecrated to him. With God's help, I will be that man. D.L. Moody had no more of the Holy Spirit than you did. The D.L. Moody surrendered his life in such a way that the same Holy Spirit that lives in you could give him the experience of fullness that much of the church today has missed. Listen very carefully. Let me sum this up with this quote. When we surrender our sin and believe in the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are saved and receive the Holy Spirit. Would you agree? We surrender our life of sin to him. We confess that sin to him. We believe that our sins are now forgiven because of the completed work of Christ. We are saved. And as comes with salvation, our deposit, our guarantee of our future inheritance to come, Ephesians talks about, we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit when we surrender our lives and believe, but we are I'm sorry, we are filled with the Holy Spirit when we surrender our lives to Him. To be saved, we surrender our sin. To, be, to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit or to be filled with the Holy Spirit means that we surrender our lives to Him. See the difference? The receiving of the Spirit of God is God's answer to repentance and faith from what Peter's sermon said in Acts chapter 2. But the fullness of the Holy Spirit is God's answer to surrender and faith. The sad part is that for many believers, they don't happen at the same time. And again, part of the problem is is we don't teach them that when they first get saved. I I receive the Holy Spirit. It's God's answer to my repentance and my faith, and salvation takes place, and the Holy Spirit now resides within me, but I don't experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit because I've been never taught to surrender my life to Him from that point on. We use the word Lord Jesus all the time in our culture. We have no clue what a Lord means. Is that like a boss. You know, a boss Jesus. Okay, my employer Jesus. But I'm free to come and go as I want. I get my days off. I only work eight hours. You have to pay me overtime. It's all we know. But during the time Jesus said this, or even in a feudal Lord system back in the medieval times, they knew exactly what it meant to have a Lord. At conversion, last one, the Spirit enters in. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you now possess the Holy Spirit. And I I didn't want to take time to just build that truth for you and and tell you what I'm telling you now on Tuesday. You have the Holy Spirit. If If you don't think you do, I will send you these slides and all these verses. There's about 20 of them. At conversion, the Holy Spirit enters in. At surrender, listen carefully, The spirit already entered takes full possession. If it doesn't happen to you when you're first saved, then it will be an act that takes place after salvation. And it's an act that may happen over and over and over again as you yield the rights of God away from you to do your own thing, get yourself in a jam and then let pride take over and then confess that pride and like spiritual breathing and go back and and ask the lord to to fill you again as you surrender your life to him but the key the key is to be wholly surrendered to him last quote the supreme condition of man the normal christian life the goal is a fullness of the spirit of a life Holy surrender to God to do His will. And that's the big struggle. I don't know so much about women because I'm a man and I've learned over the years that men and women think differently. I've tried to make my wife think like I do and she just kind of nods her head and goes, what? Okay. It's why God put us together, right? For a man, holy surrender to God to do your will. Most men are defined by their occupation. And their occupation is based on them. And their occupation is based on the the idea that we have, that the better job we have, the more we can provide for our family, and we can take them on better vacations and send them to a the nicer school, or have a nicer house. Because if you had a choice between a lean-to and a really nice house, we would all say we want to be in a really nice house. In our culture, for example, we're judged by how much money we make and the way we dress and the... And the, the the style of uh, living that we have, and I mean that's just that's just how our culture is. For a man to view his job as someone going into a workplace wholly surrendered unto him, not caring about what happens, but thank you, Lord, for blessing me to give me enough money for my daily bread and the job that I have, but I'm there as a missionary is totally foreign to even the church today. But when you surrender yourself totally to Him, every area of your life belongs to Him. Every area. Do you remember the movie Courageous where the Mexican guy had a choice of getting an advancement and keeping his job by just forging something on a paper or losing his job do you remember remember that and anyway the fullness of the holy spirit is yours for the receiving right now right now and it's simply by surrendering areas of your life that you're holding on to so tightly you know, I, I, I just, I want this to happen, God, and if it doesn't happen, God, then I'm just not going to let go of that. And the fullness of just trusting Him in all things will elude you. But an absolute surrender to Him, God, I belong to you. I'm going to offer myself as a slave of righteousness. Whatever you choose is okay, changes everything. It's not something we're waiting on God to do. We'll go to some evangelist meeting, he'll lay hands on us, we'll fall on the ground, and then, therefore, something happened. It's, no, it's, it's for yours for the taking. Right now. Right now. By just surrender and yielding your life to him. And asking him, will you let me experience God the unsearchable riches in Christ. If I could just have a taste of the unsearchable riches of Christ instead of being content, as the saying goes, being on the the curb making mud pies in the drain, if I could just see Disney World that you've allowed me to, to possess, it would change everything. And it will when you yield yourself to him. How do you receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit? The same way Jesus said you follow him, by denying yourself and surrendering and just trusting him. Amen? Let me pray.